You're listening to the Sports Blog New York podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As always, appreciate it so, so much. We have a great show coming up today. Joining me in a moment, my man, NBA outsider himself, John Lucas Duffy. We talk all things hoops, but specifically our big topic of conversation is a fun one where Duffy and I basically took the New York Knicks and the Brooklyn Nets and combined tried to make one super team out of the two rosters and and see if this this roster together the new net Knicks as I called them throughout the episode uh, are they a playoff team you know pull, pulling together the likes of Karis LeVert, Enos Cantor, Tim Hardaway Jr., Spencer Dinwiddie, D'Angelo Russell. You'll see who makes a squad in a little bit. It was a lot of fun and it was a good breakdown for our New York basketball teams. But as always, you can find this podcast on iTunes Apple Podcast app. Google Play, SoundCloud, of course, sportsblognewyork.com. You can hit me on Twitter, my personal, at P. Kennedy with two Y's on the end, or at SportBlogNYC, which is the blog's Twitter account. But also, a quick shout-out to our guys over at Team Left Jab. You can find them at leftjaballnightboxing.com, or simply type in Team Left Jab Radio in Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Google Play, everywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find them. They're so kind to pick up our feed as they're looking for some New York sports content and some outside of boxing and UFC content, and that's where we come in. So we're glad to have Team Left Jab as a partner and happy that they're supporting the show. But before we move on to the basketball-heavy show where we talk Sixers, Little Pistons, we talk Lakers and all their drama, and of course our big New York Knicks and Brooklyn Nets conversation. I just got to give a quick minute on my my New York Giants, man. Our New York Giants. Maybe nobody's New York Giants cuz you know what? They're not playing like they're belonging to anyone at the moment. Another rough game against the Atlanta Falcons on Monday night prime time just to embarrass themselves once again. There were some positives. Odell got going a little bit. Eli made some good throws. He didn't make some throws specifically the fourth down attempt where he did not throw to Odell in the corner. But you know what? The New York football Giants, man, this year is over, and I think we all know that. So what are we going to see for the rest of this season? Are there going to be some positives to take? Are there going to be some things we want to hang our hat on? I don't know. Is Eli going to be quarterback come week 12, week 16, week 17? I don't know that either. But what I do know is reality has hit us in the face, and it's official. And I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Saquon Barkley is who he is. He's a stud. He's got legit, real talent. But what happens to this New York Giant team and when they find success again starts next year. And when we're talking tanking, they're doing a damn good job. Now who's going to be shocked if they win some games and ruin that draft pick? Who knows? But a new quarterback's in our future. And I think that's in the best interest for everybody, including Eli Manning. But not a lot more football talk on this podcast here. A lot of basketball, a lot of Knicks, a lot of Nets, some Sixers, some Lakers. It's me. It's John Lucas Duffy. It's an NBA Outsiders edition of the Sports Blog New York podcast. And most importantly, you. Thanks for listening. Now you got to do sit back, relax. Stay tuned. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Sports Blog New York Podcast, an NBA Outsiders edition, with just two of the four NBA Outsiders. 
Should we even call it four anymore? Yes, we should, because Justin Babb is making an appearance next week. Allegedly, allegedly, our so yellow- we call it tease, folks. <laughs> yes, our Yellowstone National Park uh, hillbilly mountain man friend is making a return to the East Coast. He's currently residing in PA. Uh, went to a couple Sixers games already, getting the beat the beak wet. Can't wait to have Babs back. But more importantly, let's talk about the people who are here right now. My name is Peter Kennedy, your host, your second host, John Lucas Duffy. What up, dude? What up, what up, Heat? Basketball is back. It has been very fun. Basketball is very good. Obviously, the NFL is going on. That's been a lot of fun as well. But more importantly, at this at this very moment, we're about three to four or five games through for every team in the league, and there's a lot of action. Whole lot of action. You and I just finished watching this Sixers Pistons game, which went into overtime. Blake Griffin dropped fifty. Ben Simmons did not play for the Sixers, even though they looked like they were going to pull it out without him. But Duff, I'll say you're Sixers in this moment, as we as we like to just put you on all these different teams here. Uh, they're all my they're all my sons. What are you taking? Sons are my actual sons, especially the sons. What are you taking away here from your Sixers? Uh, they took it. They took an L. They're five hundred two and two. Play without Ben Simmons. What what are you liking about the squad so far? What are you not liking? Um, I don't know. I don't feel great about this squad right now. I mean, Ben Simmons being out with back tightness doesn't help, and it being back tightness specifically is extra worrisome. Uh, but I, I don't know. Down the stretch, it didn't look like they really had an alpha to kind of bring them home. The closest they got was J.J. Redick. So... It felt like for the entire fourth quarter, Joel Embiid had like 30, 33 points. I mean, he finished with 33, but you know, I, I, I don't remember when his last basket was. I think maybe when Drummond got ejected, did he shoot free throws on that? Maybe that was the last time he got No, because that, that wasn't even a shooting foul, and J.J. Redick missed a free throw right there. It was one oh, okay. The game. It was not a shooting foul. Okay. Um yeah, just down the stretch, everything was going to J.J. Redick. Dario Saric had a couple open looks from the outside that he was just not close on. Kept front-running every, everything and then airballed at the end, allegedly. Alleged airball. Yeah. Um, but, but down, it just didn't look like they had the guy to bring them home. And, of course, they're going against you know Blake Griffin, who goes for 50 tonight, which was just insane to watch his handles are legit for a big guy that was pretty cool um but from the sixers point of view a lot of guys moving around a lot of motion but it seemed more like chaos than really fluid action from an offensive motion standpoint yeah and blake griffin was on fire i mean he was doing everything from shooting from the outside to get into the rack and the handles were super legit and the reason we're kind of starting off with this game just to kind of give a little background here uh we're going to talk about a lot of nba stuff tonight as we do we're going to hit on the Lakers and the Spurs from that game the other night. We have a big Knicks and Nets topic coming up right after that. But realistically, Duff, there's probably what? I don't know. Between eight and ten teams that like really, really matter in the NBA. Obviously, there's some some middle uh, of, the re- of the road teams that we appreciate and we like to talk about and are interesting and fun. But there's like ten teams that actually matter as far as seeding goes in the Eastern and Western Conference playoffs, as far as uh, being able to make a run to the Eastern or Western Conference finals. And the Sixers are so ingrained as one of those teams. Whether we like it or not, they made themselves that way last year. But one thing I was a little bit 
slow on in the preseason when we did our Eastern Conference over-unders, if you remember, is that you know this team went on a crazy hot streak at the end of last year. They got super hot. They beat a lot of bad teams. They beat some good teams. They obviously made a little run in the playoffs until they ran into Boston. But they didn't do a lot to make this team better. And other than guys like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid growing and Markel Fultz being an NBA player uh, this year, where did they get better? If not, did they get worse? I mean, you're watching Marco Bellinelli for the Spurs just drain these ginormous threes with defenses in his face. Uh, Ursan Ilyasova in Milwaukee, his presence has just helped them so much from a floor spacing standpoint. And when you watch the Sixers and the Lakers, the one thing that seems to be missing is the shooting. And now obviously J.J. Redick is that guy. Robert Covington can be that guy. McConnell will hit some. Even the new pickup of Muscala will hit a couple here and there. But Sarge. last year, I remember you and Sarge, you specifically were so high on the Sixers going into the playoffs because you said it's the perfect formula. They have the new NBA formula to a pat down to a pat. It's Ben Simmons who can drive and kick like a champion. Joel Embiid who can a, a do it all big man, and they got floor spacers. Bellinelli, Ersan uh, over JJ Redick, Covington, and it was the perfect storm. And I forgot Sarge again. This year, <laughs> does it does it feel the same? Does it feel like they're playing that? current 2018-19 NBA modern formula again? No, it's definitely not the same because they don't have Bellinelli, they don't have Ilyasova, and for all the flack that Colangelo got, and rightly so for a couple things, uh, the two collars. really collars was definitely <laughs> top of the list. Um, the, the two really great things he did last season and during his tenure were going out and getting Bellinelli and Ilyasova. Um as late season acquisitions that to really round out the roster and add some depth and shooting and a couple guys with who have been in the league for a long time to usher young players through this season. And that hot streak came at a time to reflect those acquisitions Uh, last third of the season or so. They really just finished very strong and had the best record in the NBA. I think after Christmas or uh, January 1st, maybe something like that. I don't remember the exact date. Um, but this year they didn't get anyone like that in the off season. Bielitsa, who was supposed to be like their Bellinelli acquisition, their Jonas Jerebko, you know, something like that. He, you know, flakes on them, says he's going to go to Europe. And I think he ended up in Sacramento, which so, is just so weird. <laughs> so weird. I would love to know what that was about. Like that is the most nothing free agent signing that is just absolutely captivating to me for whatever reason. Um, So it looks like they're really just going to invest in their youth and hope for some type of linear growth from Simmons and Bede and Fultz. And I think the progression of this season is really going to mirror last season is best case scenario where they start off slow and then really find their stride toward the middle of the year and everyone gets more comfortable and chemistry is just so important in basketball and they have Fultz starting right now so they took the best starting lineup in the league statistically in, in terms of plus minus and they they flipped it where they took Redick out put him on the bench and then they put Fultz in which I don't know how important that is anymore you know we talk about starters like Damian Jones starts for the Warriors and last year Zaza Pachulia started for the Warriors but it's really not about who your starters are at this point is about who your finishers are. Like everyone made the big deal about Carmelo. And as much as we love to troll him, me in particular, 
uh, I wasn't really concerned about it. It's really just an ego ego thing. Because if he's out there in the last two minutes, isn't that more important than the first two minutes? Might as so, well, he might as well be a starter, correct? Yeah. So, you know, I don't think when you take a step back, starters don't really matter. But over the course of the season with all the minutes that they're going to lose by not starting them and maybe getting out to a hot start, every minute counts in this league. And any point you can get is extremely valuable. So... I don't know what it's going to do to them to give up those early points. We'll see. And in theory, I do understand the idea of bringing Fultz into the starting lineup and putting J.J. on the bench. I think a lot of teams in this league would really benefit from a J.J. Redick on the bench. Well, every team would because he's awesome. But specifically his style of play, except for with the Sixers, because with Ben Simmons really running the show— you would want Fultz to kind of become that second ball handler and the lead ball handler on the second unit. And because he's playing side, I mean, next to somebody who's a dominant ball handler, he doesn't get the chance to really flourish, even though he was 6-9 and nine tonight, uh, 13 points or something like that, hit a three. I think it's only a matter of time until J.J.'s back in the starting lineup, and I think that'll be a good thing for them. But also, let me make a, a cross-sport reference here for a minute, especially since we're in the middle of the NFL season. Remember, like, a couple weeks ago when the Titans were, like, a game or two above 500 leading the, the 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 South in their division. The Dolphins were leading the AFC East, and the Bengals were on fire, and all, all these teams that— And Houston was ready to blow it up. Right, exa- exactly. And the Patriots' dynasty was over again, and this whole thing, that always happens every year. We got to remember with the beginning of the season, overreactions are so easy to make. I know one thing we're going to talk about later is the Nuggets, and they're playing defense, and like they're the top rated defense in the league right now, which isn't going to last, but they're still really good, and they should be really good throughout the season. But these first couple weeks are tough to make judgments. So it's pretty easy to see the Sixers at 500 right now and be like, oh, maybe there's something to be worried about. But realistically, once they start running into the Hawks of the world, they're going to win by 25 points, and they're going to look great. It just may, it may just take some time. Um, let's talk about the Pistons, though, for a hot second. Because I think the Sixers are going to be a team that we're going to be talking about for a long time this season. The Pistons, we weren't really sure. We thought they may be in Never Never Land. Like, we may never, never to be heard from again is Blake Griffin, is so we thought. Yet, through four games this year, there seemed to be a dynamic team with better shooting than we expected with guys like Reggie Bullock. Like, what? Uh, and his crazy hairdo. Blake Griffin shooting threes. Drummond's being Drummond, getting boards and putbacks. I mean, Ish Smith is like a real legit NBA point guard. He was just like a journeyman who changed teams every year and did some nice things. He looks he looks real. I mean, is this a team that uh, you feel should be in the playoff hunt now? Is it a playoff conversation team? Or do you think this is a flash in the pan for Blake and the Pistons? Well, the unfortunate thing about the Eastern Conference is that they have to have eight teams in the playoffs, and that's not negotiable. <laughs> um, so I think they're going to, by default, kind of be that eighth spot. And in this game, I think we just kind of watched the, the perfect game for us to watch. I mean, in the first week, <clears throat> I've really tried to watch every team in the NBA, and I think I have. I'd have to go back and check exactly, but I yeah, I'm thinking about it. I think I have because I watched the Grizzlies last night. And um, <laughs> but last night, they've been. I mean, great. like when you got Blake Griffin going for 50 points, 14 rebounds, six assists, a block, only one turnover. When he had the ball in his hand, just a ton through this whole game. Uh, and really, th- I mean, both of us thought the the real like standout person for who gave the most valuable minutes after break is Smith. 
by far was Ish Smith because anytime Blake was on the bench, Ish just took over. He went nine for 12 from the floor, two for three from three, 21 points. Like he was really keeping them in the game while Blake Griffin was on the bench because after him, they didn't have much consistent scoring in, in the second half. And then especially with Drummond getting ejected and he didn't even have that good of a game by his standards. I mean, he only went six for 20 from the floor. And like, this is a guy who takes 99% of his shots from inside the painted area. That's just not going to cut it. Um, But I mean, they look interesting. Stanley Johnson, I'm, his stat line was just so bad that it's interesting. (laughs) He went 0 for 5 from the floor, zero points, two fouls. Plus 10. 19 minutes. That's not great PER. <laughs> I'm not, you know, stats nerd over here, but I don't think that's very good. That's hilarious. But it's interesting, you know? It's interesting. That's all I got to say. You know what? You got um, to think about this, though. Uh, I mentioned this in the over-under pod with the East. Like, is Dwayne Casey a good coach? He might just be a good coach. And we joke on the Raptors, they become a punching bag because they couldn't win the big games in the playoffs. And DeMar DeRozan became a punching bag, which is still weird to me. Uh, Dwayne Casey might be a good coach, and he might just be able to win games in the regular season. Maybe he's Andy Reid, another cross-board reference for you NFL fans out there. But I don't hate that. Like, I do not hate that. He won Coach of the Year. There's got to be something to it. That you is I mean? the like, most Andy Reid thing that would happen. You're right. If someone won Coach of the Year and then got fired, I feel like Andy Reid is the exact coach that it, would happen. It may have happened to him before. Who the hell knows? It might happen this year. Imagine <laughs> if they go like no 15 way. and one and only, or like 15, 14 and two, only lose to like the Patriots and the Rams, uh, and they get the bounced in the round. first round. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's like it's in the realm of possibilities. They would never do it. I think they love him too much in KC, but that that's yeah. hilarious. Um, let me let me bring two more Sixer points up here before we start moving this thing along. Um, you mentioned Andre Drummond getting the second technical and getting knocked out of the game. First of all, Joel Embiid flopped like a floppy fish. Get him. <laughs> he was yelling at the crowd, "Get him out of here! Get him out of here!" Joel Embiid, you get out of here. You're supposed uh-huh. to be this big tough guy. I get you have the gamesmanship. You like to flop and get the calls. You got to do it sometimes because you don't always get the calls. Being big guy, I get it. But I'm like I'm starting to get tired of Joel Embiid and his antics because it's like it's gonna come around to him. Right now, he's still kind of the the goofy com- competitive guy who plays really well, has all this skill. But if the Sixers keep winning, and I've been saying this literally since the middle of last year. The hate will come around for the Sixers. Obviously, like Boston and New York fans have hate for Philly no matter what, but I'm talking NBA fan hate is going to come out for the Sixers and it's going to be like Embiid's a flop, shut your mouth one time, like hit a shot late, like stop shooting stupid threes. Like these things are going to start coming around for specifically Joel Embiid, if you ask me, because you know how much I love Ben Simmons. I don't see him having those antics that are hateable. The only thing you can hate Ben Simmons for is being better than you. Joel Embiid is a guy who can, you know, fester up for some hate. And it's kind of annoying to watch sometimes. But my second take here that I want to mention on the Sixers is, you know how last year John Wall gets hurt, the Wizards go on a little run, the whole Ewing theory, um, you know, when Westbrook goes out every once in a while, the Thunder, uh, that actually never happens, never mind. <laughs> but it, No, uh, the, the Gordon Hayward for Utah. Exactly. You know, like, star goes out, team kind of comes together and plays well, and people go, ooh. Maybe this team's better off without John Wall. And we know that's stupid, but we also kind of believe it. So I thought watching this game, when the Sixers were in control, it looked like they had a good shot to win. People were maybe thinking, wow, this ball's moving pretty well. Maybe Ben Simmons uh, does too much. Maybe he needs to take a little bit less of a backseat. Uh, you, you, you get what I'm trying to say here. But whether or not you believe 
that about Ben Simmons and his lack of shooting and maybe he does too much with the ball. The one thing you cannot deny about his impact is he is an incredible defender. He can legitimately guard one through five. There was times when they uh, played Boston, he was guarding Al Horford. Like He can do it all in defensive end, and obviously I think he's spectacular on offense. I don't think anyone's really arguing that, but in this little one-game experiment without him where the ball was moving pretty well, a lot of people were touching it, it looked decent for a while, whether or not you you buy into that, you have to also take credit to Ben Simmons' defense, which is super-duper legit. That's the number one thing they miss. Absolutely, I agree. Because when you have TJ McConnell and Ben Simmons, you know, on defense, it's it's pretty clear-cut who you would rather have, who has the more switchability, length, anticipation, explosiveness. And on offense, they really missed him in terms of fast break just he is a one-man fast break a lot like lebron like there there's no one in the league who looks more like lebron on a fast break than ben simmons he's just a wrecking ball coming through the lane it's so exciting to watch and they just don't have that guy and down the stretch man they really last season they would have just pounded the ball in the post to Embiid, go get a bucket go get a bucket go get a bucket and then they never did that they never did that in the last four minutes or at any point in overtime. And you would think one with thing I got to say about that, Brett Brown at the end of that game in overtime, that ATO, oh my God, was that bad? They just ran a little bump flare screen off, off like the right wing to f- like flare Joel out to the top of the key. And then he shoots a contested three for the game down one. Yeah. I like, no, thanks. that's, that's bad. Like you run that for Kevin Durant. You don't run that for Joel Embiid. Yeah, no thanks on that. Um, I, f- I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, well. Must, well have, must have not been that important. It was something about the, it was, it was something about the six. Oh, I was going to say very simply, uh, you would think in a game without Ben Simmons, they would actually go to Embiid in the post even more. But that's Seriously. That that's happen. why I was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm not worried. Obviously, we're not hitting the panic button. We're going to do a little panic button maybe for some other teams later uh, in the in the Maybe show this today. next team. Maybe this next team is correct. But we're going to talk about teams playing well, teams playing bad after our big Knicks-Nets segment, which is coming up after this one right here, where we got to talk about perhaps the most interesting team in the league. And that, I don't know if that's debatable. And that's the Los Angeles Lakers. Nope. They're 0-3. They're electric. They have not won, obviously, being 0-3. And I cannot take my eyes off of them. Between, obviously, LeBron James and then just the mishmash of Kuzma Hart ball uh, throwing Ingram when he comes back from suspension. Like, this team has interesting dudes, exciting dudes, and obviously it's only up from here. They're going to have some bumps on the along the road in the beginning, I assume, and everyone kind of assumes. But, Duff, what have you taken away from these first three Laker games? I've taken away what you've taken away. We talked about this pre-pod, and... You said it, like, why the hell did this team not just go out and sign J.J. Redick to a one-year, $16 million contract? I don't understand. They don't have any three-point shooting. They they started the season 0 for 15 from three against the Blazers. Now, granted, they were getting a ton of easy buckets, a ton of points in the paint. Like, if they scored, I forget the exact number, but if they scored, like, 50 points in the first half, 44 of those were in the paint. It was crazy, some some unbelievable statistic. And when you have LeBron James and Rajon Rondo throwing these mesmerizing passes 
and they it's like already there's some sort of telepathy between those two where they just see things that no one else can see and you're just watching the game and all of a sudden you just see a pass that you never thought was there and then oh my god it's you're like what the hell how did that even happen and i think that's going to be an every night occurrence it's really going to be super fun to watch like i'll watch as many games as i can just for those passes but really they do not have any reliable shooting and that is troublesome you know we talked about uh over the summer do they need the shooting why not just put them with some smart players some young guys like they'll be super athletic and you know they'll get easy buckets playing fast which they've done they've done really well executing on that but there needs to be some type of balance there needs to be some threat of defending at the three-point line for the opposing team and so far i just don't see that yet javelle mcgee is playing like a house on fire that dude has looked really good kuzma went for i think 37 last night against the spurs so that's encouraging to see lonzo's going to get a ton of valuable minutes now that rondo is down josh hart has looked amazing katavius caldwell pope has of course looked like absolute garbage but (laughs) you know when do they bring in Svi Mikhailuk? He came in last the Ukraine night. Maker. He played last night. Like, but like valuable minutes. I think they need to give him more minutes. They need he needs to get some shots. Dude, he, he could be the best shooter on the team. I he is. I think he is. I don't think it's really a debate either. So, so wait, let's, like, let's let's break this down real quick. So let's take out Svi Mikhailuk right now because he hasn't really he hasn't made an NBA basket yet. He had no points right, last fair, night. Fair, fair. But Let's talk about the guys who are playing big, valuable minutes for the Lakers right now. Uh, LeBron, Hart, Kuzma, Ball, Rondo, Lance, JaVale, and Ingram. Uh, I don't know if I missed anyone, but that's enough. So the people there who you want to be taking threes are Kuzma and and uh, Hart and Ball and Ingram. And you know, obviously LeBron takes his fair share, but he's not a three-point shooter. We know this. He just takes them and he'll make some. Um, I mean, Ingram's not really a three-point shooter either. But he's the same concept. He'll take. He, you want him to take some to keep him honest, and he will make some. Right. You uh, need to do it just for the sake of balance and offense. Right. Offensive tactics. Yeah, and yeah. that that's. But that's kind of all of them, if you think about right. it. Like they're all kind of three-point shooters because they can do it, not because they're good at it. And when you think about a JJ Redick, he takes threes because he's good at it. Robert Covington takes catch and shoot threes because he's good at it, but he takes moving threes because he can. There's a difference. Like, you know, just when you can take the shot, you want people to do it. It it works well in the offense. It keeps the ball moving, and you got to take the right shot sometimes when you're open. Obviously, right? But you need those guys who are also good at it, not just taking it because they can take it. Like Enos Cantor has now shooting is shooting threes for the Knicks. You don't want him taking a lot of threes, but you want him to be able to take it just so the defense will it's now— It's like Aaron see. Baines. Exactly, and he's actually shooting them great by, by so far, which is hilarious. Unbelievable. But you yeah. want the defense to see a guy and say, oh, I have to pay attention to him because he can make this shot. Yeah, it's something else you got to think about because maybe they're thinking about, oh, wait, I, I need to make sure I take that extra step forward because maybe he shoots his three. You open up more— room in the paint so that someone gets an easy layup on a cut. Something like that can really make a difference. And that brings me to my next point. Lance Stevenson and Rajon Rondo, they can't even, they're not even can take three guys. They just will because they absolutely have to sometimes. They're not good at it, and they shouldn't be taking a number of them. So when people were talking about this whole LeBron and Rondo versus LeBron and Lonzo debate of like who fits better, 
it, it seemed to me most people were saying the LeBron and Rondo thing will work better because they're both so smart and they know how to move the ball and they know where to go. Blah, 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 blah. And Don't say it with that voice, please. I, I, I have to because I, I, I all preseason I thought I was on crazy pills thinking Lonzo would fit well with LeBron and obviously there'll be bumps, but Lonzo doesn't need the ball. There's been this false narrative going around Twitter and uh, talking heads across television and radio saying, "Oh, you know, Lonzo needs the ball, so I don't know if he's going to fit against fit with LeBron." Is that really what people are saying on Twitter? Yes, dude, people are saying this. I was like, "Have you ever watched Lonzo play? Like, he doesn't let the ball stick at all. He, in fact, doesn't want to hold on to the ball. He wants to get it, dribble, move it. Sometimes he doesn't even want to dribble. Like this guy gets the ball and moves it almost instantly." So I think he he fits well, and I think as the season goes on, we're going to see that Lonzo Ball will be much better for this team than Rajon Rondo. And maybe come playoff time, if they're, if they're there, it's a different story because we know what playoff Rondo can do just from the defensive standpoint and the, and the scheming standpoint. But I personally think Lonzo is clearly a better fit with this team uh, based off him being a better shooter, which doesn't say much, but it's true. And he can finish at the rim a, a little better. He just needs to become more aggressive, a little more comfortable after this knee injury. I'm pro Lonzo here. I don't know about you. I mean, I've always been pro Lonzo. Everyone was ready to write him off last season. Uh, but then when he came back from his injury, he was playing really well. And his catch-and-shoot numbers from three in particular skyrocketed, which is exactly what you want to see this year. You know, So I'm not – look, we're going to get to this later in the pod where uh, – you know, where we talk more about young players, rookie sophomores, and things like that. But there's a little bit of regression that comes with the beginning of a season compared to how you finished last season. And that's just so natural because everyone's working out the kinks. October basketball has turned into September football, where it's just kind of a preseason or, you know, like an extension of the preseason. And you really can't start judging teams until mid late November. Um, with any sort of accuracy. So until we get to that point, you really can't say anything that, that'll be really set in stone for like a take as far as the rest of the year is concerned. But just show some patience. The Lakers have been in close games, is what I'll say. They've been in really close games, especially in San Antonio, or, uh, against San Antonio last night. Just deep breath. Lonzo is going to be fine. And he is... Better than Rondo at pretty much everything, except maybe passing and just like and Lonzo's being a, good, a leader. Lonzo's low key, uh, not even low key, dude. That's like his best thing for me. Is he's a great passer in my opinion. Right, but I we'll see. We'll see how they're playing. Like now that they're playing together, we get like a legit side by side comparison. Right. So we'll see. Like that one, we'll call that a toss up. But Lonzo's a better rebounder. He's a better shooter. He's a better finisher at the rim. He's stronger. He's longer. He's more athletic. He's a better defender. Better defender. So, like, you break it down, really, the only thing Rondo gives you is a sense of composure. Well, we thought before the fight broke out, but <laughs> more of a sense of, you know, like, leadership, Sa- set a tone. Savviness. Tell people where to go. Be a floor general. That type of thing, you know? So show the young guys the way, like, this is how we're going to do things. And, you know, if Luke Walton can get him to buy in, get LeBron to buy in, those two set the tone for the rest of the team. So that's why I think it was important for Rondo specifically, you know, LeBron's obviously going to play, but Rondo specifically to get more minutes and show them, this is how we do it. This is how we're going to do it. 
you know, come with me or get left behind sort of thing. And I got to give a shout out to Josh Hart. I remember when his draft was coming around, I was, I don't want to say I was, I was anti Josh Hart, but basically he was one of those guys who people knew, obviously Villanova national champions. Uh, so people wanted him to be good. They wanted him to go higher than he was gonna. And my take was always, he's a career backup. He'll be a fine little player, yada, yada, yada. And, and maybe he will be a career backup. I think he should be inserted in the starting lineup uh, currently. But say he's yep. a career backup, I was still wrong. Because even if he is, he is a very good and very competent career backup who can start in a pinch for any team. Um, uh, obviously, I think he should start for the Lakers overall. But shout-out Josh Hartman. He's really balling out. She's, I was high on him from the beginning, obviously. Villanova boy. Love a guy, shout-out. Um He's just so solid all the way around. He does he he'll do anything you need him to do. He's athletic, he'll rebound, he'll defend, he'll shoot it. He was the only in Portland their first game. I think he was the made their first two threes. Like I don't think anyone else made any threes to start the game. I mean, he's shooting right now five and a half a game. Him and Lonzo are both shooting five and a half threes a game. I'm sure Kuzma's both, taking a good chunk. What'd you say? I'm sure Kuzma's taking a good chunk. Yeah, probably. So the onus for this three-point shooting is really going to fall on these young guys. And hopefully, you know, they step up and just keep I mean, he's hitting them. He's shooting 47% through the first three games. That's damn good. Good. He's 8 for 17, small sample size, obviously, but that's a good sign. Uh, you just need everyone else to kind of fill in the gaps. Like LeBron, I think, has made like one of nine or two of 12, something like that. And... You know, obviously he needs to work on his free throw shooting still. Because uh, it is actually, you know, like people joke about his, you know, his free throw, pers- like missing those two shots uh, down the stretch. But he, his free throw shooting has been like weird over the course of his career. Like his shot has gotten better, but his free throw percentage never really did. And then there was that weird year in 2017 where he just shot like 67% from the foul line. That was very bizarre. Um, he's actually shooting 16% from three right now. He's about one for, uh, I mean, three for 18. He's one one for six per game. So I didn't do Yeah, that. three for 19. Yeah. Wow. So that's just, he won't keep shooting that low. He sh- I mean, he's a career 30, 30 plus guy. So he'll, yeah, of course. He'll, he'll get better. He'll shoot league average for sure. And that's all you need from him because he can do every, he can score every other way, you know? Absolutely. Um, well, so I, that's just kind of the one thing. They've been in close games. And if you bring the shooting around, you know, they make a couple more threes in the first half against the Blazers, and they win that game. So, And last thing I want to say here is they, they played the Blazers at home in their home opener after their owner had just passed away. Shout out Paul Allen. They played mm-hmm. the Houston Rockets, who are the top two teams in the Western Conference. And they played the Spurs, who are the Spurs. So 0-3, shouldn't feel that bad. But Duff, real quick before we move on here, what is the number as far as record for you where you start going, uh, all right, maybe this isn't going to work. What's that What's that number for, as far as record? Uh, I don't know if there really is a number. I, I don't know what You have to see what, what would really what it feels like. Put, make me panic. I mean, he started, I think, 10 and 10 or 11 and 11 in his first year in Miami and they won 50 games. So, (laughs) and if he started that poorly with that team, he could do the same thing with this team, you know? So we'll see. I mean, because it's the Western conference, if they get to like, if they get to any point where they're like 15 and 15 or 
11 and 15, somewhere in that range. If they get to like 15 losses and they don't have more wins than losses at that point, then I'm really worried. Right. I'm, then, sure, I'm sure when they're like uh, three and eight in a week or two, the national media will be absolutely panicking and going absolutely ballistic every day, which they'll have fun, they'll have fun with. But I, I won't panic just yet. I'm more with you. If they have, who fi- do they got coming up? Uh, I have this pulled up actually. I, pre- I prepped. You know, we don't fact check, but we do prep sometimes. And we do a little prep. I uh, got the. They got Phoenix coming up Wednesday night. All right, so that that'll be a statement game where they just lay the smack down. Probably, they, they I bet you to. that's Dev- going to be a game where LeBron goes for like forty. Devin Booker might as well just drop 70, though. Who knows? But then they got the Nuggets, big game. Then they got at Spurs again, at Timberwolves, versus Dallas, at Portland, Toronto, Minnesota. Like, those? Uh, you and know. then the next easy win doesn't come until November 10th. Sacramento and then Sacramento, Atlanta. And then Atlanta. You know, there, there's some tough games in there. They got to make sure they can handle That's a uh, tough handle their business when they go to Phoenix and they play Dallas. But, you know, they, they got to beat teams like Minnesota. They got to beat teams like the Spurs, and I think they can. And they're they're only going to get better and better as time goes on. So I'm 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 damn excited though. I am damn excited to watch this Laker team. Duff, before we move on to our big Knicks Nets talk here, I want to just do a quick like give me like a two sentence take two sentence take on the San Antonio Spurs with Demar Derozan as their new leader behind Greg Popovich. What do you think of these Spurs? Uh, first of all, I think LaMarcus Aldridge is the leader. Ooh, and I think spicy. DeMar DeRozan is happy about that. I don't think he wants to be the number one guy. I think he's kind of like KD in that sense, where he's fine to take a back seat as long as the team is winning. He That's all he cares about. I really believe that. I don't think he's one of those guys who's like, I'm not here to get mine, and I'm, you know, I'm happy for winning, but I need to be averaging my 25 and whatever. You know, So I don't think he's one of those guys. I think he's happy to be in a system where the pressure's taken off a single individual. So I think this could be a really good fit for the for the Spurs. And I heard Shea Serrano talking about he feels good about having DeMar on his team because it feels like a good teammate, guy with a good head on his shoulders. So that's that's how I feel about the Spurs. I feel like it's a good fit and they're gonna be happy this season with the outcome. My quick take is similar to yours. Just I want to point out, and I said it on Twitter earlier, um, there's this thing that happened where when DeMar DeRozan got traded to the Raptor, uh, from the Raptors to the Spurs where people were like, oh, the Raptors didn't even want DeMar, their best player ever. Like He must not be that good. He stinks on defense. He can't shoot threes. And, and people like pile on and forget that this guy's an all-NBA player and one of the best scorers in the league and has only gotten better from the three-point line and as a passer. Like, come on, guys. I, I get it. He got traded, and when you get traded, that doesn't usually mean you're a great guy because you were the secondary piece. So I get it, but also freaking remember what this guy has done in the league. He's a good player. He's a really good player, and he's going to get more and more touches because he's the guy on that team. He's the best scorer. He's better than LaMarcus, if you ask me. So, hey, I'm pro Spurs making the playoffs. I like their over on the Western Conference uh, podcast. So, hey, Spurs, I'm interested. I'm, I'm there. I'm showing up for their games every once in a while. Yeah, always. But without further ado, Sports Blog New York Podcast, NBA Outsiders, Pete Kennedy, John Lucas, Duffy, here talking ball. We talked a lot about the Sixers, a little Pistons, a lot Lakers, a little Spurs, some other things here and there. But now it's time to fill out our New York Sports Blog, our Sports Blog New York, I should say, void, and talk about our New York Knits, Knits, what? Our New York Knicks and Brooklyn Nets, the two New York teams that have been 
energetic, playing pretty fun basketball so far this season, despite their losing records. And let me set this up for you guys. I got hit up with a tweet from my man at uh, Murphy Dubs, my boy Sean Murphy on Twitter. He uh, basically said, "I have a good hot take topic for you guys to talk about on the podcast. Would love to hear it. What would the Knicks and Nets look like if you combine their rosters? Are they a playoff team?" So John Lucas great Duffy, question. great question, Sean Murphy. A lot of Irishmen on this podcast, apparently. Uh, John Lucas Duffy, start us off. Combine the Knicks and Nets roster. What do they look like? Do they compete in the East? And uh, we're going to actually do an exercise as we go on here to fill out our rotation and even pick our coach. So just start us off uh, this conversation here. Well, the first thing I want to do is pick a coach. That's the number one thing you need to do. And for the head coaching spot, I am going to take David Fisdale over Kenny Atkinson. And this was a serious toss-up because they both get their guys to play hard. They both are really well-liked by their players, and they both know the game extremely well, obviously. But I think your head coach needs to be charismatic and in your face at times and be the guy who's going to scream at you and then also you know put put his arm around your shoulder and you're going to believe he cares about you that's what coaching's about is you know, like these players i've been watching this uh basketball love story i forget which coach specifically said this is you know the players need to believe you care and you need to love them if you're going to be successful and that's that's really important and i think you look at a lot of the successful coaches over the years i think that's true so I really believe that Fizdale is that guy and someone this team is obviously going to be playing in New York. And if there's only one team in New York, they're going to get all the attention. And I think he'll be a better centerpiece for that flip side of that. Kenny Atkinson also really good at motivating his guys a little more withdrawn. And I think he breaks down the X's and O's really well. So why not? have him be the guy who's really looking at the tape nonstop. He doesn't have to worry about interviews. He doesn't have to worry about being guys, best friends and stuff on the bench. So that's how I think that hierarchy would work from the coaching position. That would be. So you, you want to keep, you want to be how I set up. What do do you think? I I like that. You want to keep Kenny Atkinson on staff. You want him to be the assistant, you know, the uh, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator type, if you will. And have David Fisdale be the front man, be the face, be the motivator, be the uh, the, be the, mouthpiece. the corral guy. I like yeah. it. I think that's perfect because, you know, David Fisdale, man, I said this before the season started, the dude knows how to run a press conference. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a quote machine. He had me thinking, like, every player on the Knicks is a future Hall of Famer before the season started because <laughs> he just, you know, he picks out their strengths and, and, and really sells you on them. And I could imagine in a room where it's him and a player – He's going to make you believe super hard in your strengths and then also make you believe you need to work on that weakness and you got to get better on the other end. So I'm with you, dude. I think that's a flawless start to this Knicks net conversation. Fizdale's the front man. He's the head coach. We got Kenny Atkinson on the bench being assistant. And assistant the head maestro. coach doesn't need to be the amazing X's and O's guy. You know, F- Phil Jackson gets all the credit for the triangle offense. Tex Winter was the one who invented it, his assistant Facts. coach. People, so. people forget. 
or people don't yeah. even know, but people forget also. <laughs> yeah, people forget that they don't even know. <laughs> yes, exactly, and that's what we're here to tell you on the NBA Outsiders Pod. Yeah. All right, so let's get to this roster breakdown here. What I want to starting do, point guard. What I want to do let's is exactly let's do the the starting line. Fill out the starters, and then we'll do uh, let's do three bench guys. We'll get yeah, let's get the rotation. We'll get a full eight man rotation. Maybe throw in a ninth if we're really st- stuck somewhere. So we'll yeah. probably just go to a full ten because that's what we're gonna do. Yeah, facts. All right. Start us off, Duff. Starting point guard for our new new net Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> our New York. You can't even like print, like combine them. Our new net Knicks. Uh, Knicks. The Knicks. Right, um, <laughs> starting point guard. I'm gonna go with Trey Burke. Okay. I'm go with Trey Burke. I think D'Angelo Russell is a complete liability on defense, and I think. Actually, no. Forget that. I'm going Spencer Dinwiddie. There we go. There we go. It's there like- we go. I'm going Spencer Dinwiddie. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm going oh, Spencer Dinwiddie because neither of those guys are really like deep between Russell and Burke. I don't want either of those guys as my starting point guard. I don't think either of those guys is really fit to to lead a team in in the NBA right now. And mostly that's not a personal indictment. It's just because they're so unproven. You know, Trey Burke was in the G League last year before the Knicks brought him up, and he started killing it. D'Angelo Russell has done some weird stuff with teammates in the past. He was hurt last year. He's a plus-minus disaster. And I think he could kind of be, like, mellow as a guard. Just put him on the bench and let him run shit, you know? Just give him free reign. Give him the Reggie Jackson treatment while he was on OKC or, you know, like what they were doing with Harden in OKC. Something like that. Just let him go wild on the bench. So starting point guard, Spencer Dinwiddie. Great passer, unselfish, high confidence. Doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Audience of one. Shout out Spencer Dinwiddie. Shout out the Wind Diddies, a.k.a. my fantasy team. Uh, I, I'm very <laughs> happy that you changed your starting point guard to Trey Burke because now we can actually do this as a team. We're going to only make one. We're going to have to agree on all this stuff here. So we got to debate all this as we go. And now that we're on the same page with the starting point guard, I'm with you. It's Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, good passer. Pretty solid shooter. Uh, all around solid guy. And I don't believe he's going to be our point of emphasis on this offense, and he actually does a great job as a secondary tertiary guy. I love the Dinwiddie pick at at point guard. So let me move to shooting guard here, and this is arguably the best player on the new net Knicks. Karis Levert. Now we can debate if we want him to start at the two or the three, but we'll get there. All I know is he's my next pick for in our starting lineup. Karis Levert is legit. He can do it all. He gets to the rim, has a clean stroke. He has been dominant so far through three games. And Knicks fans, including myself, he also kind of broke our heart a little bit when he hit that fadeaway off glass against Tim Hardaway Jr. to win the game, Knicks versus Nets, last week. Karis Levert can ball. I think he's in the discussion for best player on the new net Knicks. I will concede that Karis LeVert will start at the two if we make Tim Hardaway Jr. start at the three. All right, because well then, then let's flip them. Karis LeVert at the right, three, let's flip it. Tim Hardaway right, at the two. That was I, was I was going to propose that. So we got Tim Hardaway Jr. at the two, Karis LeVert at the three. Hardaway, he's not going to want to come off the bench on this team. He's making $20 million. All sorts of locker room problems if we do that to him. Facts. You know, I'm, I'm, Fizz is going to have to answer a lot of questions in the media when Hardaway's not playing hard. He's saying passive aggressive stuff to reporters. He's subtweeting Karis Levert. He keeps posting I don't want workout that in videos. my locker room. He keeps posting workout videos every day. 
let's you know we'll keep him in the starting lineup and then if he works his way out of it he works his way out of it what are you gonna do all right so let's move on power forward this is where it gets so tricky I, this is where it gets tricky yeah, a bit yeah so i have i have a way to propose this okay well to also fix this because let's let's first state here that porzingis is not in the pool available no he's not available so this raises an interesting question because there are two good centers in Jared Allen and Enos Cantor, but who plays power forward? My answer is Jared Allen. What? He's six foot ten. He's six foot ten. Okay. He. You need that guy in the starting rotation. You just do. And I would rather have Enos Cantor also in that starting lineup than Rondé Hollis Jefferson or especially Lance Thomas. Who do you want? You are you. You want Mario Hazonia? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no. <laughs> Let me propose to you an absolutely crazy, wild idea. All right? <laughs> I don't know how this is going to work. Uh, oh. Do you know, uh, do you know what I'm going to say? I have another idea. All right. Ready? Let's What's bump. Up? Let's actually, I'm going to change this up. No. No, it's perfect. Spencer Dinwiddie at the one. <laughs> Tim at the two. Karis LeVert at the three. Frank Nielakina at the four. <laughs> What? <laughs> right, no. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It can't work. It can't work. I just wanted to say it out loud. No. I just wanted. I thought you were gonna go. Then I thought I knew what you were gonna do, and then you started laughing too hard. I was like, mm, I don't like this. I I, I knew uh, you, I knew. I just wanted to say that out loud, basically. All right. So I just wanted to make sure I got that one out. But now I mean, he did grow like five inches over the over the summer. He's so. a, he's officially like seven foot four. Anyways, he's my pick for tallest power player forward. in the NBA currently. My pick for power Boba. forward here. Uh, like ah, you know what? I might have to. I didn't want to concede. I didn't want to do the Jared Allen and Enos Cantor twin tower starting lineup. But no, I, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna amend that. I got I got your solution. Noah Vonley. No. Why not? He's not that good, dude. He is. He can't play that many minutes. He plays hard. He's high motor. We got enough guys who are gonna get buckets. Tim Hardaway is a zero on defense. What? Get Noah Vonley in there to play hard. He actually was a four. He's been playing some five this year for the Knicks, but he's kind of a four by trade. That dude plays hard as shit. He's not very refined. He's not very skilled, but he's, he's he is a strong dude. A little post game now. Little post game, bangs on the glass, and he had the option with Mike Breen was talking about it on the on the broadcast last night. Was it last night? Yeah. Who what what was the other team that offered him a contract? Uh Milwaukee. It was Milwaukee. Okay. Yeah. So he could have gone to Milwaukee, guaranteed playoffs, but then he went to the Knicks and part of the reason he said they had a lot of cast off uh, uh, lottery picks, and a lot of guys looking to prove themselves. So think, think Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway, Mario Hazonia, Frank Nielakina, Emmanuel Moutier. Kevin Knox is obviously a rookie and a lottery pick right now. I, you know, I don't remember where Enos Cantor got picked, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was a lottery. Noah Vonley was, was another one of those guys. So lottery as well for Cantor. Yeah. So that guy's high motor. He's a glue guy. I want him in this in the starting lineup. If we're not going to do Jared okay. Allen, Enos Cantor, Twin Tower, then we got to go. You know, what? I'll concede, and because we're a good uh, head coach, assistant coach, or maybe we're both. I don't know. We're we're, we're head. We're both GMs here. I don't know. One yeah, of us, one of us, one of us is president of basketball operations because like sometimes that's the GM and sometimes yes. it's not. Who the hell knows? So yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you that. I like the Vonley thing, and he could be that starter who is the first one out, and he kind of. 
he gets taken out of the rotation a little earlier. And right. We, we like the switch- Damian Jones, the Zaza Pachulia, like we were talking about before. Right. And we switch to Kevin Knox or we switch to Neil Aquina or Joe Harris, who I'm going to propose to in a minute. But I think that leaves us with Enos Cantor as our starting center and not Jared Allen. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Where Where's our defense at? Our defense might be a little shaky. We might need Cantor to come off the bench. Cantor. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I want Jared Allen to start. So Cantor is the better player at this very moment. Is that fair? Yeah, but more defensive switchability with Jared Allen in there. A little more better rim, rim prote- protector, yeah, in my opinion. A little more rim protection. Because our scores are, are going to be Levert, Hardaway, little Dinwiddie. And then Allen can throw down on the pick and roll. He can't post and toast like Enos Cantor can, but that's going to be great off the bench. So Allen's our starter. Cantor's coming off the bench, but he's definitely on the squad. And he might he's in contention with Levert as best player on the new net Knicks. He's in contention, but eh, I don't know. I think Cantor is better, but he the defense, that's what's really making me put Allen at center. And again, we'll what we need down the stretch will determine who finishes. Okay, so, so at the end, after we we pick our, our full rotation, then we're going to say who finishes games for us, all right? Okay. So I proposed Enos Cantor as, our, as one of our top bench guys. Who's your next bench guy? Next bench guy, we talked a little bit about him before, and I'm just going to mention it quickly, D'Angelo Russell. He's going to run the second unit. He's okay. going to get his shots up. No one's going to be complaining that they're not getting their shots. No other starters are going to be bitching. No one at home is going to be like, why is this guy shooting right now? Just let him run the offense. He's going to get buckets for you. He's going to hit open guys. He does have good court vision when he's not too worried about getting, you know, shoot, being a total chuck. But he could be a good spark plug off the bench six man, dude. So that's who I think is going to run the second unit. Okay. Who else you got? I could see Russell and Cantor having a little rapport maybe with the mm-hmm. Cantor cuts real hard to the rim and just goes at like dives at the rim. So that can be pretty successful there. He could throw some good lobs over there. And uh, like Cantor is a monster on the boards. And to so be, on- to be like, honest, it, it, when we're talking D'Angelo Russell and I think back to my, my draft, uh, what I thought of him coming into the draft, my favorite part of his game was his was his vet was his vision and passing. Mm-hmm. Like I thought he had phenomenal vision at Ohio State, and then he kind of got a little shot happy in uh, Los Angeles, and it's kind of continued in Brooklyn. But we'll see if that starts to refine this year as his role may start to change as Levert takes over for the Brooklyn Nets. But for the new Net Knicks. He's our backup point guard. My next guy is not a Nick, even though there's one who I need to make sure gets on this roster. My next guy is a Brooklyn Net, and he's very good and underrated. He shoots, right now he's shooting 52% from three. And that's Joe Harris. Underrated player. People outside of the New York, even Knicks fans probably don't even know who this guy is that well. Brooklyn Nets fans know him well, and he's a solid player, can shoot the three, can sneaky drive to the rim, does everything right. Joe Harris is a is a have-to-have on this team. I have no rebuttal because I don't know anything about this guy. Exactly. I just looked up his basketball reference. He's getting 30 minutes a game. He's getting 14 points. He is 51% from the floor, 52% from three. So... Just based off that, I like it. You know, he's the type of guy, like, his stat line is obviously only for, for three games right now, but he averages four rebounds, three assists. You know how you average three assists? Because, you know, a lot of people will see three assists and be like, it's not a lot. But for a guy who doesn't handle the ball, that's a that's a damn good amount because he mm-hmm. moves the ball well, he makes the right pass, and he is legit knocked down from three. I'm for it. We need a floor spacer. We need some legit shooting on this team. 
Let's see who we got next. So now, wait, wait, let's recap real quick. We got eight guys, okay. correct? We have our starting lineup: Dinwiddie, yep. Hardaway, Levert, Vonleh, Allen, and then Cantor, Russell, Harris. Who you got next? Cantor, Russell, Harris. We got two and more spots. I'm gonna go Frank Nielakina. Oh, we need okay. a ball stopper. Okay. We need we need not a ball stopper. We need a a guy who can switch one through four. He's seven foot five. He <laughs> is growing at an alarming rate. Frosted tips, I like that. But we saw, in all seriousness, we saw him give him give you know James Harden a lot of trouble last year. Those were some fun clips to talk about. And he is strong. He is long. And if you have guys like Tim Hardaway Jr., D'Angelo Russell on the court, you're going to need someone who's going to guard the best the best guy on the other team, and that's going to be Frank Nielakina. No questions asked. They, I mean, he's the best defender on either of these teams, in my opinion. Absolutely. He's just such a legit defender. And I don't know. I think I've talked about this on the pod last year. There's a, a new – not a new. It's been around for a couple of years now. NBAMath.com. It's a very cool website. There's a lot of uh, advanced analytics stuff with the NBA. And they do total points added. It's not a crazy formula, but I'm not going to go into it now. But basically, it tracks offensive and defensive plus minus, And it's like, you know, it's – not just straight up plus minus, more advanced. I'm not getting into it at the moment, but just as a as a reference point here, Frank Nielakina has not been great on offense. He's shown some flashes of confidence, uh, but he hasn't been great. But his defense has been so good and has graded so well that he actually nets out to be uh, a zero, which is is good because his offense in this system is like a negative seven. His defense is a plus seven, which is one of the higher marks in the entire league at this moment through just three games. Obviously, it's three games, but still, his defense is so legit. The switchability is legit. And my man's starting at the three right now. Like, he's legit playing small forward, guarding everybody. I love that pick. Um, So now we have nine guys. We have nine guys. We need one more. And I know who it is. Like, I know who the pick is. It's easy money. We have to do it because we care about our future as well as winning right now in this playoffs. Shout out, Frank. I know who it is, too. Luke Cornett. Tell me why. Luke Cord, nothing but net. You took the words right out of my mouth. How about that? He hasn't logged a minute yet this season. <laughs> That's great. Oh my god. Do you know who I'm actually taking though? Uh, uh Kevin Knox. Yes, there we go. <laughs> Luke Cornett. It's between him or Ed Davis, I don't know. It was a toss up. Actually? No, I'm just oh, kidding. Okay, Jesus Christ, you scared me for a second. Kevin Knox <laughs> is our tenth man. Uh he can play the three and the four, definitely, maybe a little two. He's shown some signs of hitting the big shots already. He had that one really great closing stretch for the Knicks, and obviously he rolled the ankle the other day. He'll be out for a couple of weeks. But Kevin Knox is a dynamic scorer. He has uh, the ability to be a good defender, can rebound, can help help in all aspects of the court. And if we're talking 10th man right here, we got a little bit of a Swiss Army knife who can get buckets, who can heat up quick. I think he's the perfect guy to throw in. Because we don't need a center, don't need another point guard. He's a wing, and he's got it going on, man. I'm for it. He's got the highest upside on either of these teams uh, as far as rookies and young talent goes, besides maybe Jared Allen. But we got the young center. Let's get the young wing player, scorer, who can be you know, serviceable on defense and high-volume scorer on offense. There's a lot of upside there. And now I wonder if some people listening to this pod may be thinking, like, maybe they were having Aja to this entire time saying, Kev- Kevin Knox, when are you going to take him? Is he going to be, mm-hmm. where are you taking him? Where are you taking him? He's our guy. He's our guy. But 
Listen, we're building a team here. And if this is a win now team, people. This is a, exactly he's starting rookies and shit. This is a win, win now, now team. And he fits the role off the bench. And Loki, there's some nice little talent on this team. So now we're at the point here where we got our ten starting lineup: Dinwiddie, Hardaway, Levert, Vonleh, and Allen. Then we got off the bench: Russell, Frank, Joe Harris, uh, Kevin Knox, and Enos Cantor. That's our 10. That's who we're rolling with. David Fisdale at the helm. Duffy, is this a playoff team in the Eastern Conference? Well, let's take a look at the standings as they are today. Let's do some of that. Let's do in the Eastern Conference where there has to be, non-negotiable people, there has to be eight teams. Checking, checking, checking. Okay, so you have, let's count them off. Of guaranteed playoff teams from the East. You got the Raptors, Who are better the Bucks, than the New Net Knicks. The Celtics, the Sixers, the Pacers. So that's five. That's five teams that are no question getting in the playoffs. And the Wizards. I'll I'll throw the Wizards in there. So that's six. So who's in contention now? You look at the the Pistons with Blake Griffin, you look at the Heat with Hassan Whiteside and Josh Richardson, James Johnson, Goran Jogic. The New Net Knicks. Throw the Charlotte Hornets in there. No, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Um, I th- man, it's tight. It's real tight. I think they're in that mix, but, you know, they're in that 7-8-9 seed. I think, I think they can get there. I feel like it's a sneaky deep team. I feel like they can grind out some wins against teams that have tough force them into some tough shooting nights and really between Cantor, uh, Jared Allen and Noah Vonley really control the glass on defense and end possessions and keep possessions alive with guys like Cantor. I think he's averaging like four offensive rebounds a game right now. So that's promising. I feel like this team is strong on the glass. I feel like this team has a lot of switchability and the one thing it's really lacking is a guy who can get you that bucket down the stretch. So maybe the best version of Tim Hardaway Jr., Karis you know, if get that. Don't sleep. Carius LeVert. Don't you, sleep. I mean, tandem, whichever. Whichever guy's got it going down the stretch who can really just kind of get us that bucket. I feel like D'Angelo Russell could sneaky be that guy for, you know, 15 games a season. Ice in his you know, I'm not veins. saying we're going to win all those 15 games. Let me, but... let me stop you for a second, Duffy. What's let, up? Let me break down this front office of the new Net Knicks. I keep like stub- stumbling every time I say new net Knicks. It's, it's like tough not, to it's, say. It's not okay, good... I'm giving you credit. You're doing pretty well. <laughs> we got to work on the name of our team. Anyway, yeah. let's break down this front office. You are the guy. You are like say you know, got Steve Steve Mills and Scott Perry. They're both kind of the same attitude, but obviously they both they play their roles. If it was you and I running the team, you're the guy who like sets expectations high but not too high, expects a lot. Not me. I am the guy who's like Rex Ryan. This is a this is a sixth seed, man, fighting for a fifth seed. Like you're you're talking wow. about you're talking about the Raptors are better, the Bucks are better, the Celtics and Sixers are definitely better. And then I don't I'm not I'm not saying the Pacers are better than this team. Like I don't think the Pacers have the depth. I don't think they have the talent across the board. And I don't even think but they're they have the top lineup. end talent. They have Oladipo. They have Oladipo. They have a guy. They have a guy. And I think after that guy. We win three out of the other uh, five, uh, five starting positions or four starting positions, and the bench is way stronger. I think we're right there with the Pacers. So what I'm saying is, the bench is definitely stronger. We're I'm, deep. I'm saying we're this deep team, across the board. This team's a, this team's a six seed. 
I'm saying it. I'm guaranteeing the playoffs, Deion Sanders style. That's certainly the goal for this team. And I think <laughs> in terms of depth and consistency, we can push the Pistons out. Tough to push the Heat out. You know, just, just Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra. We're, we're kind of just heat, seems like a staple. We're Heat adjacent, honestly. I would agree with that. I feel like the, the nearest comp is the Heat. Heat adjacent with a little bit more scoring punch. They have Goran Dragic as From their the punch. wing, more punch. At the point, they probably have the edge. At center, defensively, they have the edge with Whiteside. Yeah, but but he, offensively, he we have playoffs. the edge with Cantor. <laughs> so. Whiteside gets taken out in the playoffs. He can't do it. I mean, that's true. And Jared Allen can stay in. 6'10", mobile, switchability, exactly. three blocks a game. I love that. Exactly. All right. Well, this has been fun, man. Shout out Murphy Dub. Shout out Sean Murphy. That's, you know what? Fuck yeah, it's a fucking playoff team. Let's go, Murph. Six seed, baby. Let's get it. New Net Knicks. That's it. That's what it's all about. New Net Knicks. Let's get it. Uh, hope- See you. 2020. We'll be there. <laughs> Hopefully, you all enjoyed that segment. I actually did. That was a lot of fun. And it gave us a good insight. Uh, you know, we got to, like, pick out all the positives of our guys in our backyard for the Knicks and Nets. We got to really see who we like and who we don't like. And, uh, and you so- know what? We're going to track that team over the course of the season, and let's let's see how, how it evolves. Yeah, for real. I think, you know, the guys who are getting left on the cutting room floor, they're going to play for our G League team. Uh, the, like, I don't know. they're gonna, I don't know what our G League team is going to be called yet. But, like, Iso Zoe, he's getting ready to get called in if someone goes down with an injury. We even got uh, Trey Burke on our G League team. He's back in the G League. He's going to come back hungry. Was, you know, Ronda House Jefferson got some guys still on the cutting room floor. So remember that. I'm with it. I believe. All right. Well, before we say goodbye, we let's just do like let's just we'll skip out on the uh, around the league right now because that's going to get too deep if we start talking about the Nuggets and the Raptors and and all these teams that we find interesting. We have more weeks and more games to watch, so we're going to talk NBA all season long right here on the Sports Blog New York podcast with the NBA Outsiders. Let's just do a quick five to ten minute. Rookie wrap-up, rookie rundown, whatever you want to call it, where we shout out some of these rookies we've been seeing. And even though we're calling it the rookie rundown, we'll bring in some sophomores. We'll bring in, you know, the De'Aaron Foxes of the world, the Dennis Smiths of the world, and we'll maybe maybe shout out one of them. But mostly let's let's check out these rookies. So, Duff, start us off. Who's a rookie that you've uh, been able to catch so far this season that has caught your eye? I've caught most of the top rookies. I have not seen Wendell Carter Jr. yet. But I did have him on my fantasy team, and I can tell you that he's been underwhelming. Um, <laughs> but I was watching uh, Trey Young just go off against Cavaliers was very exciting. Uh, his he made wrap around pass. I don't know who it was. I forget who it was around. Um, oh, it was Larry Nance Jr. Where. The, the way the camera angle worked, you didn't see anything that happened, and then all of a sudden someone on the Hawks was just dunking the ball. I think it was John Collins just dunked it. I was like, how the fuck did he even get the ball? It didn't make any sense. So that's kind of like what we were talking about with D'Angelo Russell. You know, what really intrigued me was his passing, and everyone sees the flashy. You know, if you don't really watch college basketball, you saw he was averaging like 25 points a game. But really, if he had better teammates, he would have been averaging like 15 assists because that guy has just got some next-level vision that's really exciting uh, in, in addition to the unlimited range, which is pretty cool. So Trey Young so far has not disappointed. I mean, he did a little bit against the Knicks, but whatever. First game of the season, what are you going to do on the road? But really, against the Cavs, he, he popped off against Colin Sexton, another lot top top 10 lottery pick. So that was a lot of fun for me. What about you? 
And uh, let me just note that Trey Young is currently averaging 23 points, 8 assists, and has a double-double already, had that huge game. He's also shooting 39% from three. Duff, you know what? That's a damn good number. So he's chucking yep. nine a game, which is a lot, especially for a rookie. That's a lot. But but we knew that was coming. He's going to get his volume. He's going to get his shots. He's going to get his opportunities to make mistakes. But that's fine. And that's, that's what you want from him. That's the benefit of him playing for the Hawks. He's getting that Absolutely. opportunity. If he's on the Mavs, he's not getting that. Like, he's just not. Rick Carlisle is not having none of that garbage. Um, but well, also, they already have Dennis Smith Jr. Facts. Facts. Good call. So he would have to share the you know floor with him, which I don't think is impossible, but... I don't. I don't think that 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 backcourt's playing any defense. But anyway, anyways, I digress. Let's talk about the counterpart for the time being, and possibly for the rest of their careers, in Luka Doncic. Dude's averaging eighteen, six, and four. That's a damn good stat line through three games. He has proven in these three games that that craftiness, that that feel for the game, was not just a European thing. I mean, the the couple passes you've seen him make, the step back threes that he not only takes but can make. It is legit. It is there. And now I'm I'm happy for the Hawks that they seem to be confident and happy in their pick and Trey Young. But still, Luka Doncic to me is that dude. He is that rookie. And, th- you know, through three games, you don't want to get too high, too low. But let's be real. Duff, other than the athleticism that may catch up to him if he's got a real hardcore defender on him, what is a weakness in this dude's game? He's shooting not great from three right now, but he's hitting them and he's taking them. But his passing's legit. He's got big, he, like he's got a big man's body right now. He's nineteen, but he's big. He's got some strength, some sneaky, sneaky moves. What weaknesses does he have outside of the shot consistency? So a couple things, definitely the shot consistency you were talking about. But honestly, he was never a high high percentage guy in Spain. He was a high volume, shot a lot of step back threes, difficult shots, but he, he made a lot of them down the stretch in crunch time. So he's at like 32% right now. I would be surprised if he got over 35 for the season. So just temper expectations there. The two things I would focus in on after that, 4.3 turnovers a game already. So Trey Young has 2.7, which is very, I, I'm honestly surprised how low that is considering his you know, small in stature and Doncic is what, six, seven, six, eight. So that's an interesting thing to me, uh, actually. But the other thing he's averaging 18 points a game, four free throw attempts per game. He's only getting the line twice a game. That's not great. That's not so good for me. I mean, I need him to bump that number up. He needs to get easy points. He can easily average if he keeps on this page. I'm not going to say easily, but he there is a realm in which he could average 20 points a game if he gets to the line seven times a game. You know, that's I don't think that's out of the question. Dude, Just get there. That's you pretty know, high. Two, two, seven times. Yeah, man, that's high. That's He's already at four. He's at four. Yeah, I know. I'm but... just saying he gets there. Three more times a game, like add in an and one and just one other foul. So if he draws two more fouls a game, he can average seven seven uh, trips to the line. The other thing is small sample size here. He's eight for 13 from the foul line. It's only 61%. So really the number one thing I would key in on is attacking the basket more, not settling for step back jumpers, and getting that free throw attempts number, get that bumped up. Very good. One more guy I want to shout out here, and he's number one pick. And, you know, because I think we were all so confident that he was going to be the number one pick, he's almost someone we didn't talk about that much as far as breaking him down going into the draft. We were just like, this dude's an absolute freak. He has great hands. He has decent touch. 
He could be an absolute game changer if he just focuses on defense. That's DeAndre Ayton. But the one thing I want to point out about him is his passing is mm-hmm. so like it's so clear. It's obvious. And that's something that's not easy to teach a big man. So when a big man comes in the league, even though he's playing on a crappy team and can still get up to four assists in his first three games of his career, I mean, that's something to be proud of. That's something to see and put your hat on. So DeAndre Ayton, shout out to him. He hasn't been taking a lot of crazy shots. That's something I'm also happy about. Obviously, Booker takes a ton of shots over there, uh, as well as like TJ Warren and whatnot. But I thought he was going to force some shots. I thought he'd be a little crazy trying to do too much. He's been poised, and he can move the ball really well, which is an absolute treasure to have in a big man who wants to be one of the focal points in an offense. So I'm pleased with what I've seen out of Ayton so far. Yeah, I completely agree with everything he just said. His passing was not something that I really noticed when he was in Arizona, not something I heard people really talking about either. So I didn't watch a ton of college basketball, but I would review a lot of writing or podcasts, whatever. So I, I didn't really hear any mention of this. Maybe I'm just misremembering, but uh, only one turnover a game, and he's been getting doubled in the post. So that's you know that's good for especially a rookie. He does seem to be playing a little slow. Doesn't seem like he's really caught up to the speed of the game. And for a guy already averaging a double-double with four assists, you know, once he catches up, gets his legs under him, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking he could bump that up to like 16 and 12 by the end of the season. That would be pretty exciting. Um, like you said, he hasn't taken any crazy shots, zero attempts from three on the season, which is not a bad thing. We heard a lot of people talking about his jump shot. Is good. The mechanics are good. He's shooting. He's also getting four attempts at the line. He's shooting 97, 91%, excuse me, 11 for 12. And he's got good form, good mechanics. His face-up game looks decent, like solid, pretty solid. He'll face up. Someone gives him space. He has no problem taking that shot from 15 feet, which I love. Um, but they don't need him shooting threes. They got Trevor Booker. They got Isaiah Cannon. They got, did you, you know, TJ Warren you, started taking threes. Did you just Trevor call Reza. your son the son, Devin Booker, Trevor? You just called him Trevor Booker. Oh, did I really? Get off this podcast. Devin Booker? Well, oh, come on. That's just a get, slip. That's, come on. Him. That's close. You say he's You know what I also son, do? Something son. I'll do, and it won't, it'll, I guarantee it'll happen this season. I will call Russell Westbrook. Uh, Russell um, Wilson? What'd you say? Russell Wilson. Absolutely. That'll happen. That's great. That'll happen multiple times this season. So there, there are a few names where I just slip up for whatever reason. All right. Well, and uh, I was actually thinking about Trevor Booker today, so maybe that's why. That's weird. I was thinking something. about that sick. Uh, well, no. Remember that weird bounce over the shoulder, like shot he made with like point two seconds on the clock. Shout out Utah Jazz. Hell yeah. That was. I was thinking about that shot today. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's but also another statistics. On, just get back on track, please, for love of God. Um, <laughs> another statistic that was interesting. Less than a block a game. He's averaging like he has one block on the season through three games. Mm. That's not good. Not great. You're seven foot tall. You're a freak athlete. You should be getting blocks. You need one block a game by accident. You know what I mean? So that needs to get to, you know, close, at least close to a block a game by the end of November, hopefully. I mean, seven foot one, please, for the love of God, give me a block a game. Well, Duff, Aaron I want... Allen, 6'10", he's getting three. Well, he's he's a beast rim protector. He's also on the new net, Nick, so he's a beast. Anyways, well, last obviously. guy, I just want to mention his name, and I'm going to be quite honest, I haven't really seen him play yet because I didn't see the Timberwolves' last two games, and he only played the last two. 
He did not get time in the first two. But he remember this, Minnesota Timberwolves, who's the coach? Tom Thibodeau. Josh Okoji, 20th pick in the first round. I have not seen him play in the NBA yet. I'm just putting that out there. But just the fact that Tom Thibodeau, of all coaches, has played this dude 26 minutes per game over the last two, that says something. So I haven't watched him yet, but the next time the Timberwolves are on, uh, I'm throwing my league pass on and I'm watching Josh Okoji because I am absolutely floored that a rookie for Tom Thibodeau is getting 25-plus minutes a game and took 13 shots. 13, Duff. What What is this? What's going on here? Yeah, that's weird. I mean, I, I, I watched another one of their games uh, recently. I forget who it was against, though. I don't know. The, the, where I work at nights, like, I record a lot of, you know, basketball, NHL, a, a bunch of stuff. The company I work for is basically an archive for these leagues and uh, for CBS. So I, I, I'm just kind of, like, watching on the screen for people I know, and I don't know this guy, and it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. But that is insane. That's some insane stuff. It's just crazy. So I'm, I'm checking. So him out. I was watching. I didn't even notice him. That's yeah. bad on me. Well, I'm checking him out next time Timber was wrong. Well, Duff, this has been fun. The new net Knicks was a really fun exercise. Got to talk about our New York squads. Uh, more NBA content coming your way each week here on the Sports Blog New York podcast with the NBA Outsiders. My man, Duff. Any last words? Uh, let's go, Suns, baby. Let's go, Suns. Let's go, Sun. They lost by 20, but you know, in that first half, they played well. The score didn't reflect it. They were down 20 at half, 23 at half, but should have been closer. Den- Denver Nuggets, 82 and 0. 82 and 0, baby. Best <laughs> defensive team of all time? Maybe. My column next week. <laughs> have a good one, everybody.